So every web application I've ever built starts out fine. But then it starts needing more and more stuff. Initially, it's just like, oh, yeah, sure, we have we have users and they can log in. And they can do some things in the system. And then, then of course, we need, start to need some like structure, like, oh, yeah, we have different teams and then those belong to organizations. And, uh, yeah, we, we really need some kind of accounting connection between, like, organizations and, like, the billing system. And then for... It's not enough to check if the user really is just logged in because we we do need more access checks. And initially, maybe you can just access check like, oh, yeah, uh, this user is part of this team and this team owns this thing. But after a while, that gets kind of tricky. So at some point, you probably need an authorization layer that's kind of intended to do that work. And of course, you need some kind of error not error handling, but error reporting so that you find out if there are errors in your application. And it's really helpful to have some kind of application performance monitoring, so-called APM, or like tracing and metrics that you can use to kind of check in on your application. And also potentially like alarms. When you build a web application, it feels like it starts out so nice and simple conceptually, but then it always just needs to grow these layers and it always balloons does that rhyme with your experience yep <laughs> do you want details <laughs> entirely optional okay cool yeah it rhymes with my experience well it's i have two things to start with uh, so users is always interesting because it really doesn't matter what you build sooner or later you need users uh, and they probably need some kind of tree structure to live in. Uh, and that tree structure wants different kinds of tags or permissions or whatever to just do this whole auth thing. And it's always so fascinating because it's it was a long time ago I built an auth thing myself because I've done things with Django for a very long time and it just has it. But there's a, a great post on this that says that I think the title is Teams Should Be an MVP Feature. It's by the dude who makes the bullet train starter kit for Rails. Mm. So uh, it has always fascinated me. Yeah, this is another part of it, that it has always fascinated me that people use like Flask or you know that size of framework or the lack of framework. So was the Flask Express, uh, the one that was one along with Rails for a while until Rails added it. Like Sinatra or? Yes. And then you got Scotty and the other ones for Haskell that are really small. Those ones I like, but I haven't really built something something that needs users, needs everything in Haskell. So, yeah. Because it's you have to be really lucky to only need the raw HTTP part and not need all of the fluff around it. Yeah. I think for a lot of cases where Flask, for example, is used, it's more like a microservices thing or a very custom service where you're kind of hacking on some, something and you're evolving it over time. And you might not need uh, users initially or you build that as you need it. 
like there are there can be reasons to go with kind of these micro frameworks first. Uh, you can certainly get something that's less complicated to understand. And for example, a Django application comes with uh, a bunch of boilerplate by default and a bunch of things you need to kind of wrap your head around by default, just as a Phoenix project does. Like I've heard people criticize Phoenix for, oh, there's so many files. It's like, yeah, because it's not hiding very much for from you. And the th- files you find is like, oh, yeah, this is the get text implementation for your app. Yeah, why do you need that? Translation. <laughs> uh, internationalization. And then it's not even bundling in like proper localization. So uh, showing, if, if I'm using the right words, it's like showing dates and um, currencies and stuff in the correct way. Like that stuff is a, like a morass of just complications and weirdness. And doing it correctly is like having things that help you do it correctly is super, super helpful. Users is an interesting one because I think most default users systems uh, for frameworks that ship are kind of oversimplified in that they don't separate users from uh, sign-in methods. For example, if you support social logins, that's a very different thing from uh, password and email. That's a very different thing from login with Apple. That's a very different thing from all, for example, very many SaaS products don't need to store any credentials in app because they're using like Auth0 or Okta, which is, I guess, the same thing now, uh, two different products, but it's Auth0 by Okta because they bought their biggest competitor. But take Django. I don't recall that uh, user implementation being particularly super flexible. Like they have they have ways like escape patches for adding other auth mechanisms and stuff, but but fundamentally it's email and password, right? Yeah, but you can do interesting things with it. I haven't tried though. Maybe I should and and we'll see if I take back everything that I've said. But it's there. Yeah. And ninety percent of the time you need users. Well email sending like oh you wanted users Congratulations, here's email sending. Yeah, and back in the day, you know, it's generally it wasn't better like in the <laughs> for before times. But email was so much better. We've lost everything in the pursuit of killing spam. Yeah, it's like you you could just config postfix postfix on the system or just use like you could just send email. <laughs> yeah. So so do you want to start a new internet with me where we can send email between each other? Yeah, that would be kind of kind of nice where it's just yeah. like oh, it's just our servers. There's yeah. two websites, two email uh, inboxes. And we we only allow list each other's IPs and yeah. connect directly to them. And we can just run a very long wire, I figure. Yeah, we actually live close enough to each other. Let's do that. Okay, but until then, <laughs> to be able to send email, I think I'm using Postmark at the moment yeah, to send email. I, that... I always end up using Postmark, essentially. I guess I should yeah. look at whether there's a, there's a better EU-centric uh, option, but yeah, I tend to use Postmark. Yeah, if you find one, please let me know. But Postmark, then it's... It's just they're they're quite good. 
Oh, there's a an app for uh, Django called Django Animail that just works. It's very good. Uh, just slots into the email sending for Django. Uh, and then you configure it to talk to Postmark? or Yeah, with yeah. like th- input API key and go, basically, I think. Yeah, and like a few versions back, Phoenix added uh, mailer, like mailer support to the default generated uh, framework. Yes. Uh, so now you just decide which swoosh provider you want, and uh, Postmark is one of them. I think that's a, an excellent decision because we're we're in the future now. We're not in the before times. Yeah. And everyone can't be as lucky as you and I that have a private internet. Yeah, and then that also means that by default you have... So when you generate your auth, you get your forgot password and confirmation stuff ready to go. Yep. And you also get the patterns for how it's typically meant to be done. But something that Phoenix is definitely kind of lacking is... uh, I've been saying that it's essentially the layer between the controller or or the live view or the channel that depends on what your UI is, but like between the controller and the database. Mm-hmm. And I think this layer is missing in many, many frameworks. Let's see, which layer is that in Django? If we speak in Django for a little while. <laughs> so let's talk Django. Django is model view template. So it's not the template. Yeah. Uh, Indeed. <laughs> you click something in the template, that triggers a view. The view is the controller. Uh, yep, because names. And then that generally runs a method, a few methods on the model or the model class in Django, if yep. I'm not mistaken. Yep. And that that's the kind of the thing. It's between the first step of the logic layer and the data store. Because in between there is where you usually need to fit, like, oh, yeah, we need access controls. Like, fine-grained ACLs, for example, or like some kind of access policy is is the fundamental thing. Like uh, we need to apply our policy here and it needs to be defined in some way. There needs to be an access layer generally. Yep. There might be need to be audit layers before and after accessing data sources, for example. That also usually happens around there. And for example, in Django, there are tons of extension points like, oh, before query, after query, before save, after save, pre-save, yada, yada. Yep. In a functional language, that stuff is intended to be fairly explicit. There are extension points in Ecto, so you can actually uh, build like macros or uh, you can build callback functions that are called, I think, both before and after your query, but primarily kind of checking for example, if you're building multi-tenancy, which is another thing a lot of applications needs, where it's like, oh, customers should be isolated from each other in some way in the system. Like customer B should never, ever be able to accidentally query customer A. And uh, how you split that in implementation can be a bunch of different things, but it's a very common requirement. And that's kind of like, there. there are ways to do that with Ecto where you could, at least enforce like, oh, this schema should always have tenancy information that we're querying because we should never query this uh, raw, essentially. Or, um, yeah, we should never query 
the main kind of central repo with this, we should always query a separate tenant uh, instance of the repo. So multiple, if you're doing multiple databases, for example. So there are ways to hook into this, but there is not a provided pattern for, for example, access control or tenancy. And I spoke to Zach Daniel on the Beam Radio podcast recently, and I looked a little bit at his ElixirConf talk. He's building the Ash framework, which is a framework that can sit within Phoenix. It can also run just on top of Plug, but typically people use it within Phoenix, which uh, it wraps up Ecto with slightly different DSL. It does a bunch of DSLs, which I'm like, I'm not thrilled about macros and DSLs as a pattern necessarily. But what they do is allow you to like, in some ways, it's similar to what Django allows you to do, which is, oh, you, you've added a model here. Then from that model, we can derive everything we need. Like Django admin, for example, is kind of sweet because you go into like an admin file and then you add the models that you want to expose in your admin and how and then you can configure a little bit about how you want to expose them and suddenly you have an admin well ash lets you define resources and then say oh i'd like to have an admin please the admin is kind of rough to be honest but it is there and it does get generated but what he considered kind of the the thing with ash is that by building your resources declaratively and specifying valid actions on them declaratively uh, with very small pieces of kind of uh, imperative code, you get this possibility of like, oh, policy layer, that's something we need. We need to apply these rules to all queries. Anywhere we expose an API that can do this, uh, whether it's our GraphQL that we generated, whether it's the JSON API that we generated, whether it's the something else that's calling the functions directly, we want the rules of access to be um, to be applied. So suddenly, you don't, as a developer, you don't need the same uh, level of discipline because it's there, defined everywhere. Yeah, you don't need to think about the policy layer when you're not dealing with the policy layer, ideally. Indeed. Uh, because let's say there are access controls and you want to add a an endpoint, but it's Friday afternoon, things need to go quickly, etc., etc. Uh, so you forget to use those functions. Yeah. And suddenly er- everything is... Wide open. Exciting. Yeah. Or... Uh, so, so, but if it's if you don't have a choice, if you need, or if it's generated for you, then yeah, there's essentially two ways uh, I think this could go, and that's the the policy is default no, and the thing you're adding would require you to expand the policy, and then you would see, oh, my stuff doesn't work, yeah. or uh, the policy covers the case you just implemented, and uh, okay, the policy is protecting you. Or there's something incompatible which bl- blows up. I guess there's also the case where, oh, you added something that kind of violates the policy and you should really be updating it, the policy, because otherwise you are exposing things. Like, it's not a silver bullet. I don't think anything is. But for this type of thing where it's like, hmm, we know that there are new layers that need to be added every now and then. And, well, this was something he brought up in his talk. A really nice and well-structured and mature functional piece of code. Like, you can't uh, modify 
what's happening in the function without adding things to the function. The function is not divided in steps unless someone has divided it and then it's no longer a function. Yeah, indeed. So yeah, it could be more than one function. There could also be that you could supply a list of callbacks or something, but that's a very nice way to create really hard to maintain code. Yeah, and uh, like this system, these DSLs they have, like looking at the code that generates the actual stuff, uh, like I d- dug in a bit, like, ooh, that's, that, it's a lot of work to understand and follow uh, and seems a bit headachey. But what it boils down to is that it generates rather straightforward functions for you. The challenge, I think, comes from the fact that they want it to be quite extensible, which is necessary to get the things you want from it, which is like, oh, a resource uh, that should be able to be stored in a multitude of different things. Like, oh yeah, sure, this one is for Postgres, but this one maybe is for BigQuery. Can I implement a BigQuery data layer? Sure. It's going to be a headache probably, but at least you can do it without changing anything else about the code, kind of. And more importantly, like, oh, I need to generate a bunch of, say, gRPC things from our uh, for our resources based on our actions. Yeah, all the data is introspectable. You can actually just go ahead and either write a generator or write a DSL thing. Uh, but you could probably the simplest way is probably just writing a rough generator. And yeah, I'm not in love with building my things like this. I like hacking around with functions and modules and kind of writing a bunch of code. But like the the serious professional part of me knows that every project I've ever touched starts to need need these things eventually. Like Ash has an option for like, oh, what's your tenancy situation? Like, do you need multi-tenancy? What is the dividing value for for tenants? How should the tenancy work? It also does stuff like help you generate migrations so you get a best uh, first pass, an automatically generated migration and then then you can always improve it. That's nice. So it seems seems to do a bunch of things nicely. And I think these are kind of the enterprisey parts of uh well, think of .net and java and like many of the frameworks there are kind of heavy and feel overwrought. It's like I don't need all this stuff. Oh, these this is too many layers. This is too much. But I think the goal of those are also quite clearly to give you all the layers you need to build your very very end game application essentially the the max level application yeah. that you can do uh, 50 people raids with and get the sweet loot yeah and that's iso compliant and uh, sock 2 compliant and uh, can understand your hipaa needs uh, yeah now that's a serious <laughs> end boss yeah each one of those is like one of the end bosses sock to end boss somewhere deep down in the seven hells or something and i think like i'm very curious to poke around more with ash because i think it can fill i'm not sure i'm gonna enjoy it so much as it might actually just solve a bunch of things i should probably not be thinking about uh, over and over again yeah because you want to think about the business logic the give value to customers stuff yeah and not another user management system yeah that's kind of the 
the idea. And I think there are other ways, or I know there are other ways of designing this in Elixir. It's not like there's a problem building access control into a Phoenix application, but there isn't one by default. And that's probably kind of smart because they vary a lot. There's a lot of yep. a lot of difference to to how that work that works. I think Ash has a decent approach. I, I haven't looked too closely at the the policy system they offer, but I think it's important for what they're trying to do that they have a layer where it's like this is where you put that logic. Because every now and then uh, you end up writing just straight code in in Ash. It's like yeah, this function determines given this context, it can do anything it wants to try to figure out what you're allowed to do. Like yes or no on this, <laughs> and and it also seems like Ash has plenty of escape hatches for like oh, I need this logic to be custom, <laughs> which is which is very important. But, yeah. Yep, I think my my favorite version of uh, that's a very special kind of worms though. So I think that's why it's my favorite version of access control. It's building it into the database, so you can have the row access control there. Yeah. But it's a very special kind of worms. I used it, or did I just look at it, but not use it? I probably talked about Postgres before. Yeah. The amazing little library that turns your Postgres database into a REST framework. And there, this row-level access thing was used to do access control. Because why invent another abstraction when you can use one that's already there i don't remember if i used it successfully though (laughs) yeah so yeah it was cool postgres doesn't have or didn't have almost anything it was many years ago i looked at it last time so i need to look at it again to relive some memories i guess yeah yeah that's also kind of an interesting approach where it's like okay we build everything into the database yeah because then nobody can muck around with stuff right it's it's there. It's very contained. As long as you can model it with the database, you can build the access rules so that they cannot be violated. I think that also comes with a challenge of, well, if you want to access it from kind of another angle, like, oh, let's say from the SQL client, because you're doing admin stuff, or you're doing development stuff, uh, it might get a little bit trickier because I assume those access controls might also hit you there. Yeah, there you need the super user flag and then not screw screw up. All right, <laughs> I think so. But I think it's an it's an interesting kind of question or uh, like I think Zach in his Ash framework thing raised an interesting hypothesis because all apps eventually grow up to need a bunch more facilities than almost any framework ships by default. And it might be fine that the framework does not ship everything by default. It's probably good that it it doesn't because it makes hacking something quick together uh, more messy, usually. But, well, I think in in the Rails, Rails world, there are a decent set of libraries that people tend to pull in for like, oh, I'm building a SaaS product and I need this and this and this and this. And similarly, uh, there are definitely a typical set of Elixir 
um, libraries that people pull in. And there are libraries that are like, oh, this is for this is for access control and this is for that. I think even like Ash Framework might even use a library that uh, that is meant to do access control, but they uh, they glue it in <laughs> they glue it to your application in a different way uh, because of the DSLs and declarative stuff. But very often there isn't like this prescriptive way of like well. This is how you build your endgame application without without suffering uh, endgame along the way. And I've worked with at least one like Elixir or Phoenix project starter kit that's like, oh, we've baked a bunch of useful stuff in. And it was good, but it was also kind of painful because I have to understand everything that they're up to. Yeah. Yeah, that's the catch, right? I wonder if I'm having a like these rosy glasses when it comes to Django because I started using a very small part of it before I really cared about understanding things. And then I just kept using it until I had a quite good understanding of everything. Also, it's I hold that framework in very high regards. I'm, I think it's one of the better softwares out there. I found Django to be... Uh very effective but i also found it easy to get messy and i didn't really like the whole well just override some behaviors here and figure out what options are available here and like the documentation is good enough that you make it work but some of the stuff i've done in that is very 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 sticky (laughs) um there's also the whole thing like a bunch of OOP stuff around like class-based views and mix-ins and stuff that I found horrifying whenever I needed to override things. While the like basic function-based views, I think they're called, uh, was very felt very straightforward, but they're more code. So, yeah, I think that regardless of what anyone says, go for function-based views until you need something that's very pointy and sharp then a class-based view can be good i've been i encountered them first through uh django rest framework that's kind of built on top of that and built their own their own little menagerie of uh, classes that's useful for that domain um and after that i've been been using more and more parts of it but it is it's a very special way to do your pythons uh it's like take this collection of of classes or maybe behaviors is the idea put them in the inherit from this part of your class and then hope that everything works out yeah the order is very important too uh order of the mixins inherited yeah from yeah hmm so that's running quite counter to the idea of functional programming right where you want to have everything in front of your nose yeah i think that's part of of what i don't like about it so django rest framework i found 
more agreeable than like the class-based views stuff because it does a very particular thing, build REST frameworks, not build like server-side rendered UI, which I have more opinions about the shape of, I think. Uh, overall, Django REST, like Django seems seems to be very effective. And I, I think in many regards, it's it's a similar level to Rails. I think Rails probably has the stronger ecosystem in terms of how many helpful libraries and things have been built to support building a SaaS on top of it. So honestly, if you just want kind of, okay, this is the most built out, I think Rails is probably it. But Django is pretty close, and Django has access to the AI ecosystem, like machine learning and Python, uh, data science, all that. So, no. But I also hear that Laravel is really, really good if you want to do, um, uh, if you want to just build products and do PHP. Like, uh, apparently, they have these absolutely wild Stripe integrations that just solve shit for you. Like, oh, you want subscriptions for this app? Yep, install this. I saw that someone was doing that for Phoenix as well. Very nice. That's kind of like the challenging thing with building those types of libraries is that unless there is good convention on where the extension points are, wiring it up so that it is fully useful and will see good adoption is tricky. Like, these are not easy problems. Like, what does the solution to this layered cake look like? What should it be? It's no wonder most devs just sit down and build dev tools instead because it's much much more fun and it's like, no, 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 no. This should be hidden behind an admin flag. Yep. <laughs> ah, dev tools. Admin flags. Yes. <laughs>